I know why they don't let me sing in the choir. That was a complicated piece. And Pam, good to have you playing the piano for them this morning. Wow. Whew. All I have to do is play one note at a time, and that just about blows my brains out. Uh, so, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of the Lord? How many enjoy the air conditioning? If you don't, and if you're not having a grateful heart like Pastor Nathan said, we'll send you a one-way ticket to Air, uh, to Africa, all right? So, my, we have a lot to praise the Lord for. We did come to sing. I hope that you've exalted the Lord, not only in words, but in our hearts. In my devotions this morning, it was about uh, offering a sacrifice, and that how God doesn't need the animals or our money he wants our heart. Amen to that. And I hope that we've worshipped him this morning with our hearts. What a privilege to have our missionary home with us. Uh, the Armstrongs have been on the field. He actually is a professor at UCLA. So you just mark that down. UCLA is not in California it's in Mexico, though, so we have a UCLA, and it's far better than the UACLA in California. Let me just say that. All right, it's good to have Heather and uh, the two grand or the two children are with their grandparents this morning. And by the way, it is good to have our folks here this morning. My folks here, and we just enjoy family time. And I know you've enjoyed the time probably already home with your family. And, how, uh, and you will say more about your deputation, but right now we want to look at the slide presentation of the Armstrongs, and then Brother Armstrong, you come and preach for us. Christ's last commands to his disciples were to go, teach, and baptize. His last promise was that he would be with them always. God sends each of us to different places, but we all have the same task to teach others what Christ has taught us. God has sent us, the Armstrong family, to Monterey, Mexico. We are Jason, Heather, Ana Sofia, and Matias. Thank you. Thank you for your prayers and support that make it possible for us to do in Monterey what you are doing here, making disciples of Jesus. Jason and I both grew up on the mission field where God used our parents to teach us to know, love, and serve Christ as our personal Savior. I give my life to Jesus in Heidelberg, Germany, where my parents serve as missionaries. My parents were missionaries in Spain when I was born, and then moved to plant a Spanish-speaking church in California. God used my family's ministry to burden my heart for the need of a Christian university in Latin America. 
Jason and I became friends at BJU. After 10 years of college and seminary and serving Christ as singles, God led us to serve him together and we were married in May of 2010. After three years of deputation, God allowed us to move to Monterey, Mexico in July 2013. There we served for one school year before returning to finish deputation. Three weeks after arriving in Monterey, Matias was born. God has provided our permanent residency visas through our Mexican son. That first year in Monterey, God gave us the privilege of serving under and alongside Pastor Julio Montes, the founding pastor of this ministry in Monterey. The following year, Pastor and Mrs. Montes finished their ministry here on earth when the Lord called them home in a car accident. We are so thankful that God led us to come down a year early so that we would have the privilege of knowing and serving alongside Pastor Julio. In March 2014, we returned to the States to finish raising support, and God graciously provided our remaining support need in four months. Then we returned home to Monterey in July 2014. We moved four times our first year in Monterey. Many of you prayed with us that we would find the right rental home with a good landlord and a good location. God has provided above and beyond our expectations, and we are so grateful for the house he has provided to be our home for the past three years. Jesus has made his presence real to us in the midst of significant health limitations. About two and a half years ago, the kids and Heather were sick for a couple weeks with the flu. They got better, but she did not. Since then, chronic fatigue has kept her mostly housebound and has limited her activity at home to a couple hours a day. God has abundantly cared for us through these health limitations by assuring us of his presence and love, by providing for our financial needs so that we can do things like order meals in, and by providing help through his people, our new family here in Monterey. Though at times it is difficult and discouraging, I thank God for lovingly giving our family this life, and we trust his perfect wisdom. Please pray that God will daily provide wisdom in effectively using the strength that he gives. We are excited to tell you how God answered your prayers for our three major ministry goals during our first term, church planting, theological training, and personal discipleship. The Lord allowed us to work with the national church planning team in a nearby city. The church planning team was like family to us, and we were able to gradually build relationships in the neighborhood. After about three years, God clearly led us to merge the work with another church in the area that is pastored by a nuclear grad. During this time, the mother church was going through the transition process of calling a new pastor. After turning over the church plant, the Lord led us to more actively help at the mother church for about a year. In addition to occasional preaching, I enjoy teaching adult Sunday school and helping to organize the children's ministries. We are now serving at a growing church plant under the leadership of our co-workers, Joel and Kristen Hernandez. Our new church planning team includes students from the university and families from the mother church. The church plant is in a rough neighborhood and there are many needs. God has been working in lives in amazing ways. God has allowed me to teach Bible, ministry, and church history classes at the Christian University during the week to both ministerial and non-ministerial majors. We are thrilled to see these students go out to serve the Lord in Monterey, in other areas of Mexico, and in several other countries around the world. This year, God allowed the team of theology teachers at the university to finish and submit the paperwork to the Department of Education for a master's degree in expository preaching. We plan to begin teaching the master's classes in the fall. One of our goals is to train pastors who can replace us in both church planning and ministerial training. God has blessed us with several personal discipleship opportunities. Jason enjoys meeting regularly with students about spiritual growth and ministry. And the Lord has given me the privilege of having a few young women come to our home for help and advice. 
It has given us great joy to see them grow in Christ, restore broken relationships, and find joy and satisfaction in living for Him. Please pray for us. Pray for the new church planning ministry to which He has led us. Pray for theology graduates as they answer God's call to ministry in different parts of Mexico. Pray for the approval and implementation of the new master's program in expository preaching. Pray for us, the family, that we would have wisdom in setting priorities to use the life, limitations, strength, and opportunities God gives us for His glory. We are thankful to serve our great and good God as His and as your representatives in Monterey. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Kaminsky, for the opportunity of being here, sharing a little bit about the ministry this morning, sharing a little bit from God's Word. We're in Matthew 28 this morning. Thank you, Westside Baptist Church. Thank you for your prayers, for your prayers for us. We are very well aware that without Him, we can do nothing, and we do appreciate your prayers for us. Thank you also for your support. Without the Lord's provision through His people, through you. We would not be there, and we appreciate very much your partnering with us to be able to reach uh, the world through Mexico. And we praise the Lord for what He is uh, doing there. Thank you also for your hospitality to us while we're here. Uh, Nova has been a blessing to us in opening so generously, opening her home to us. And thank you also for the provision of a vehicle to be able to move around while we're here. That's uh, a special blessing. That's not normal to be able to have when you're visiting a church, and that's a, that's a special blessing to be able to have. Thank you for that. Matthew 28, we're going to be looking especially at the very familiar last uh, three verses of this, of this passage. But first, I'm going to go on and read the entire chapter to remember the context of these last verses that are so familiar to us, and then we'll pray and see if we can apply some of this to our lives. Uh, Matthew 28, the, the Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. And there ye shall meet him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy, and did run to bring the disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, 
and there they shall see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled to the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported unto the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Father, thank you that you sent your Son to take my place, the place of each one, each person here on Calvary, to suffer what we deserve to suffer for our rebellion against you. Thank you that although we were sinners, although we are sinners, you still loved us so much and showed your love by giving the life of your Son in our place. Thank you that he being the perfect sacrifice, perfectly obedient to you in all things, conquered death and rose again, just as you had promised, just as he had promised. We thank you, Father, that he has conquered the world. He has conquered Satan, and he can help us to conquer the sin in our own hearts. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us today through your word, that your spirit would apply it to our hearts and lives, and that we would leave changed more into the image of your Son. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I was born in Spain, where my parents were missionaries. It's there that I came to know Christ as my Savior. It's there that the Lord began to burden my heart for missionary ministry through my parents' ministry. Spain, like most other countries, has its own story of independence. Soon, we here in the United States are going to be celebrating July 4th, the Declaration of Independence, when we decided that it was time for us to become our own nation, to be able to have a vote and a voice in those who are governing us. That was being slowly taken away by the British, and so our forefathers decided that they wanted that in this new country. Spain has a little different history. They actually have a story more of a a reconquering. For 800 years, Spain was under Muslim rule, the Moors. For 800 years, then, they didn't govern themselves. But came time, right around the time of, right before Christopher Columbus, that the Spaniards got together and they threw off the Muslim rule and took control again of their country. They conquered again. They called it the Reconquista, the reconquering of Spain. Mexico has a story also of its independence. It's a very important part of Mexican history for us as missionaries there. 
it's really what the Lord used to set in motion a series of events which opened the doors for, for foreigners to be able to enter the country and for anybody who was not a Catholic to be able to enter the country. When Mexicans decided, it was actually started by a Mexican priest, decided that they needed their independence from Spain. Spain was not treating them justly. That they needed their independence to be able to govern themselves and to be able to bring justice to their country. Although they didn't have the same Christian principles that the founding fathers here in the United States had, they suffered a long time, even under Mexican rulers who were not just, were not fair, who did not govern for the good of the people. Although there are some exceptions to that, even, even after their independence, they didn't enjoy the, the blessings that we have here in the United States. But they also had to come to the point where they had to conquer their country for themselves. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, we could say that here we see a declaration of independence by our leader. No one here fought in the war of independence for the United States. We are beneficiaries of what others who have gone before us and laid down their lives so that we could have the freedoms that we enjoy today. So it is with our spiritual freedom from sin, from death. Christ had just conquered sin. Christ had just conquered sin on the cross. And then he conquered death in his resurrection. And his words in chapter Matthew 28:18 is, "I've conquered the world. The whole world is mine." He didn't just reconquer and, and liberate one country. He liberated all mankind. He says, "All power, all authority is given to me, not only on this earth, but in heaven as well. He conquered the dominion of Satan in all of his wealth. We know how he lost that dominion. Even though losing the dominion we know was part of his eternal plan in a way that shows his wisdom that none of us can fully comprehend. All we can do is worship him for it. But we know how he lost his dominion. Why he had to die. Why he had to suffer to reconquer and liberate mankind from the control of Satan. It's because our forefathers, Adam and Eve, decided that they were going to doubt the Word of God. They placed their full and complete confidence in the Word of another. The Word of the serpent. And every man and woman since... Adam and Eve, until Jesus Christ. He was the only exception. Every one of us have been born captive to sin. None of us has been able to obey God completely and perfectly from a perfect heart. None of us has. Why? It's like Adam and Eve. We have all placed our full and complete confidence in the promise of the Father of lies. What was His promise? His promise was, 
You can disobey God and you will not die. He tells you if you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. But don't trust Him. Trust me. You will not surely die. You can trust me. You can't trust Him. You can live life your own way. You can decide what's good and wrong, what's wrong. The only reason God gives you His rules is so that you will not enjoy life. That was Satan's promise. And he affirmed, he promised, he swore to them. The only thing you are going to miss out on if you disobey God is having to live under God's oppression. You can choose your own way. You can live your own life. Nothing's going to happen. The only thing that's going to happen to you if you choose to live life however you want to live it Regardless of what God says, the only thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to enjoy life more. You're going to be like God's. Knowing good and evil. You will not die. We all follow in the steps of our forefathers whose sin nature we inherited. And therefore, we were all born slaves to sin. Satan is the God of this world. He's the king of this world. But then Jesus came. Then Jesus came. Was he tempted? Yes, he was tempted in all ways just like we are. With one exception, he didn't sin. Jesus was tempted. But Jesus was tempted far worse than Adam and Eve were tempted. What was their temptation? Their rule, the only thing they had to do to obey God was to not eat of one tree in an entire garden of trees. They could eat of every tree in the entire garden except for one. And they disobeyed that simple rule. What is it that God requires of us? What are the oppressive rules that Satan has liberated our society from? He's liberated our society from the oppressive rule of God that demands that we don't kill each other. And now we're free to go around and kill each other like we do every day. Look at the violence in the world. That's the freedom that Satan offers you. What about the freedom to be immoral and to destroy your marriage? All around us, possibly in our own families. We've suffered from divorce, from broken homes. That's the freedom that Satan gives you. He gives you the freedom to destroy your children and to destroy yourself. That's the freedom he offers you. That's not freedom, that's slavery. He gives you the freedom to steal another's property. This is the freedom. This is the freedom that we enjoy in the dominion of Satan. What oppressive rules God gives us. 
These rules are not oppressive. They're for our own good. Imagine. Imagine what the world would be like if there were no lies. If there were no, was no violence. There were no murders. If there were no broken homes. Imagine what the world would be like if every child... Imagine the unity and the harmony of our families if every single one of our children obeyed their father and their mother and honored them as God instructs us to. That's the kingdom of God. If we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we place our faith and our confidence in Him and not in Satan. We trust His blood to cleanse our sin and His Spirit to transform our hearts. We are assured that one day we will live in a place where the Ten Commandments will be kept perfectly. It's called paradise. It's called a new heaven and a new earth. It's a place where there is no sickness and there is no death. It's a place where everybody loves God and everybody loves each other perfectly. It's a place where there is no night. It's a perfect place. Just like the paradise, and even better than the paradise that God originally created in Eden. But just like other brave men and women gave their lives so that we could enjoy the freedom that we enjoy today. Jesus Christ gave His life so that we could enjoy freedom from sin. He did what we could not do. He lived a perfect life. And He conquered Satan. He wasn't just tempted to eat a piece of fruit. Philippians 2 tells us that he was obedient unto death. And not any kind of death. He was obedient unto the death of the cross. He was publicly humiliated after being incessantly tortured to the point of passing out. Then they led him through the streets, they took off his clothes, and they nailed him to a cross. And there he hung and he died. And all throughout that whole time, they were mocking the king of kings, putting a crown of thorns and a scepter and a royal robe, saying, you're king, prove it to us. Are you king? Then prove it to us. Even while he was suffering on the cross, they said, if you're the Son of God, if you who say who you, you are who you say you are, come down from the cross and prove it. What were they doing? They were tempting him to disobey his Father. Because he had been sent to die in your place and in my place. And even on the cross, He perfectly obeyed from a perfect heart the perfect will of His perfect Father. He obeyed. He conquered death and sin. And that's why when He breathed His last, He took His foot and smashed the head 
of the serpent. Because he obeyed and was perfectly victorious over temptation. He could not be conquered. He conquered. He was obedient unto death. And that's why God gave him authority over everything in heaven and everything in earth, which was already his because he created them. He conquered Satan for you and for me. Hebrews 2, we read, that Christ took flesh, became a man, so that he could die like a man, so that he could conquer Satan for all men. And before departing to heaven, Christ reads his declaration of independence. You don't have to follow Satan anymore. You don't have to live for that old king. You don't have to live in slavery which he has convinced you is freedom. I'm the authority now. I'm the King of kings and I'm the Lord of lords. I conquered sin because I conquered sin through death. I conquered death when I rose again. I'm the King of kings and I'm the Lord of lords. And Philippians 2 tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. Ephesians 1 tells us that this was God's eternal plan in Ephesians 1.10 to bring all things in Christ. In Colossians, we read that Jesus took the law that was against us, that condemned us because we broke it, and he nailed it to his own cross and died in our place. And by doing that, he publicly exhibited his victory over Satan and all of his hopes. He liberated us. He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Because Jesus has conquered Satan and set us free from sin and death. The next thing that he tells his disciples is that they must let others, and this applies to all of us here who know Christ, we must let others know of this good news so they too can bow their knees and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's four alls in this passage. The first one we just saw is all authority. But because he has all authority in heaven and on earth, we sang of this today, didn't we? We sang it in Blessed Be the Name, where it talks about all the kingdoms, all the nations of earth are now his. All nations is the second one. Because he has all authority in heaven and on earth, we must go to all nations. For us, in today's society, this is something that we understand. 
We might even take for granted that God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't favor one nation over another, one race over another, even though you could argue we're all one race, human race, right? He doesn't favor one person over another because of their ethnicity or language or or anything like that. That wasn't so obvious in the culture in which his disciples were raised. If we read Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, we read that these Gentiles to whom Paul was writing, for whom he was writing from prison, because he had been thrown into prison for preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. He says that he's a prisoner for you Gentiles, for the mystery of the gospel. Because we have to understand that there were Jews and there were other nations, or, or Gentiles. And these other nations weren't just good people with, with different cuisines or, or, or with different cultures. God had chosen Israel out of all the nations to be a light to all the nations of who our God is and what it looks like to live a life dedicated to Him and what it looks like to live a life of his bless- with His blessing. But they disobeyed. They disobeyed. There were Jews and there were other nations. There were the Jews who even in their legalistic way now in the time of Christ, did certain things that that set them apart from other nations and made them appear to be holier, to be more dedicated to God, more consecrated to God than other nations. But what were all the other nations like? If we read Ephesians 4, 17 and on, it talks about speaking to these Gentiles in in the church of Ephesus. He says, don't be like the other Gentiles. You guys are Gentiles, but don't be like people of the other nations. Don't be like everybody else of your nation, totally darkened in your mind, living without control, without any kind of moral control. Romans chapter 1 describes what the other nations were like. They had given themselves over to idolatry. They had given themselves over to human sacrifice, even of their own children. They had given themselves over to homosexuality. They had given themselves over to any kind and every kind of vice you can imagine. We hear the nations. Maybe for us we could think world. In the sense of worldly. Go to the people who are worldly. Go to the homosexuals. Go to the Muslims. Go to the people who are least like you. Go to the people who you consider to be most lost. Go to the people who have never heard of me and who live their life totally under the dominion and domination of sin. Go to the nations. Go to the pagans. 
go to the world. That's their charge. charge. And that's how they would have understood it. You may not remember, you may remember in Acts, I believe it's Acts chapter 10, where God himself speaks to the apostle Peter in a vision. Peter knows it's God. And God tells him to kill and eat unclean animals, animals that were prohibited by the Jewish dietary restrictions. Peter knows it's God. And he tells God no three times. And then a Gentile shows up at his door. And he says, I get it. I get it. God wants me to go to the house of a Gentile. Jews did not go to the house of Gentiles. And for his own protection, he brought 12 other Jewish men with him. And when they showed that they truly believed, and God gave the miracle for these Gentiles to be able to speak in languages that they had not previously learned, Peter said, God has shown us that he's not a respecter of persons. God had to work several miracles, at least two here, two miracles to convince Peter that it was okay for him to go and speak to somebody from another nation. Because the Jews had totally separated themselves from the Gentiles. Why had they done this? Well, we need to understand the Old Testament. They had done this because before they didn't do this. They intermarried with those who did not know God. They became one flesh and one family with people who were idolaters. And then they also became idolaters. So God threw them out of their homes and led them into captivity for 70 years. And after those 70 years, they learned their lesson. They learned their lesson. But they went to another extreme. So here's Christ telling his disciples, go to all nations. Go to the unclean people for Jews. Go to those whom you are going to be persecuted for even entering their home. And we see after Peter does that, he's called to Jerusalem. And he has to give an account in front of the other apostles of this preposterous thing that he just did. Go into the house of a Gentile. And after they hear how God miraculously showed that that was okay now, they accept it. But it was a big deal. All nations. Everyone needs to know Christ. Christ died for everyone. And we must go to everyone. Well, this is a pretty huge task. We think all nations is the whole world, which is what he is talking about here. How can I do that? I'm one person. How in the world am I going to reach all nations? Well, this morning, I'd like to tell you how you can. I'd like to tell you how you can have a part in reaching the entire world 
for Christ. As we know, the world is not just those who are living right now, the people are being born all the time. That means that this task becomes more and more and more difficult and more and more necessary as time flies by. Sometimes we think the way to do this is through addition. Doing the math, we figured out that if 10,000 churches were to lead 1,000 people to Christ every year, the world would never be reached for Christ. They'd never keep up with the population to grow. But if one person led one person to Christ in a year, and the next year, these two people led two more people to Christ. And the next year, those four people led four people to Christ. And the next year, those eight people led eight people to Christ. And the next year, those 16 people led 16 people to Christ. Doing the math, they say that in 33 years, the whole world would know Christ. See, what we need is not for God just to raise up another evangelist. It's going to travel the world preaching Christ. We need to obey God and to start praying for our family members and our neighbors and our co-workers and those whom we're in contact with every day. And pray. And then share Christ with them. Yes, with our words. Without preaching, there's not going to be salvation. They need to hear the gospel. But that has to go hand in hand with our lives. And if our lives are preaching Christ, then God may choose to use our words in a more powerful way. One person a year. That's the way to win the entire world for Christ. God's given us a unique opportunity in the ministry which He's led us to. To be able to disciple young people. Many young people who love Christ who have come to study from different countries, Peru, Chile, Venezuela, Spain, all throughout Mexico, and other countries as well, and then go out to other countries, like Ecuador, French Guiana, and other countries even in, As- in Africa, Zambia, Mayotte, an island off the coast of Madagascar. These are all places where people from this one place have gone out to serve Christ. Multiplication. Or we could say, disciple making. God has not just called us, as the next point is. All authority. All nations. Then he says... To teach them all things. 
all things. That's the ministry of multiplication. According to the book of Ephesians, Pastor Kaminsky's job, Pastor Nathan's job, their job is not just to do the work of the ministry. That is part of their job, but that's not only their job. They do the work of the ministry as believers. Their job as pastors is to equip each of you to do the work of the ministry. Because God has given each believer here a special ability, many times many special abilities. Not every one of them is going to be the ability of teaching or preaching. But God has given each of you special abilities to use for His glory. All things. When we lead someone to Christ, it doesn't stop there. It continues when they enter into the waters of baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And publicly, in front of the church, and often in front of their family members, sometimes unsaved family members, in France, they publicly affirm and declare that they believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again for them, fulfilling God's promise throughout the Scriptures. That's why immersion is the way that we practice baptism, just as it was in the early church, just as the word baptism means. It means to put below the water, put under the water. Why? Because it's a symbol that we believe, it's a public declaration that we believe that as we go under the water and then come back up, we're affirming that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Not just for the sins of the whole world, but for my sins. And that because He died, He rose for me. His death washes all of my sin away. His blood covers all of my sin. And because He did that for me, I publicly announce to the world that my old life is going to be buried. It's going to be crucified and it's going to be buried. My living life for myself, my living life under the dominion of Satan in perfect obedience to that old master, it's over. I'm dead. I die with Jesus Christ to my sin. I crucify my sin with its passions and desires. And I bury that with Christ. And with Christ, I rise. I rise to a brand new life, dedicated exclusively and wholly and fully to live for God. Teaching them all things is to teach them that because God loved us, we love God by loving others. That's our new life. Because God loved us, even though we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for our sins. The Holy Spirit has now filled our hearts with His love. 
the tsunami of God's love has now washed over our hearts. And our hearts are so full of His love that they overflow in love for others. And then we begin to obey God's commands. Not simply out of fear. As we know, there is no condemnation to those that are in Jesus Christ. We live it out of love. Because the love of God, like an army, has surrounded our hearts and lives. And has conquered us. And compels us day to day to live a life of love for Him. And as you see in Matthew 5-7, to that means that we don't only do things that are nice on the outside. We do things that are nice on the outside because God has made us nice on the inside. We do it from a heart of love for God. Because there are those who can do lots of nice things and lots of good things. But Jesus says that if, if we do good things so that others can see us, we have our reward. In order for us to receive a reward from God, which is the best reward we can have. We have to do things, not to be seen of man, but to be seen of God. And that means that we'll be a light. We will be so incredibly different from the darkness that pervades our society that we will shine like a city on a hill. And people will glorify God because of our lives. They will glorify God. And what will their response be to us? That same passage tells us that often, not always, but often, what we should expect is persecution. That our good will be evil spoken of. That as people see how God has transformed our lives, we have to expect that while some will be dry, Others will be repulsed. And others will insist that we continue to live like we did before because when we live holy lives, it makes them look bad. It smites their consciences and it tells them they need to repent and it tells them that the lie of the devil that you cannot change. Like most lies of the devil, there's a lot of truth there, right? You can't change. But Jesus can change you. And as they see the change and see that they should change and that in Christ they can change if they don't want to change, they will persecute us. And then Christ tells us how to act toward them. We should love them. We should pray for them. And we should speak well of them and to them. We must teach all nations, all things that Christ has taught us. So they too can go forth and do the same. And through this ministry of multiplication, God can do what seems an impossibility. And finally, the last all, is Christ's promise. Always. I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. I invite you to come back tonight, if you're able.
to hear how the Lord has fulfilled this promise in our lives in Mexico. Always. He's protected us. We've only had one situation where people entered our home and took some belongings, but we were asleep. The Lord protected us. The Lord is with us. His provision. He's provided, provided in, in amazing ways through, through a Mexican man in the church down there who, who let us stay in his brand new, beautiful home in a gated community for free for almost a year. And then when we returned to finish raising our support, the Lord provided through one church the last 10% support we needed. That would have taken us at least a year as things were go- had gone up to that point. God provides. God also gives us the greatest treasure and joy of all, which is His presence. The fact that He promises that He's going to be with us doesn't mean we will never have any needs. It does not mean that He will never choose to allow us to suffer. It doesn't mean that we're going to have guaranteed results in our ministry where we can see visually in front of our eyes what God is doing in and through us. But it does mean that He will be with us. It does mean that even when we suffer need, even when we suffer physically, He will be with us. And while there are those without Christ who have all the money you could imagine, who have wonderful health, and who don't seem to be suffering anything, are totally and wholly unsatisfied with their lives to the point where many take their own lives. Christian with Christ. Even in poverty, even in suffering, can be wholly and fully satisfied. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you that you fulfill the promises of your word even when that meant sending to be born in a manger and die on a cross for my sin. Thank you that he conquered death, he conquered sin, and now he's reigning. And one day he will return to set up his perfect kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth. We pray, Father, that that day would come quickly. We pray that you would help us until that day to be faithful, knowing that Jesus has all authority. Jesus has conquered Satan. There is nothing that Satan can do to us outside of your perfect will, which is for our good. We thank you that now in Christ we have victory. Victory over the condemnation of sin, victory over the power of sin. One day, victory over the presence of sin. We pray that we would be faithful, knowing that 
Jesus has all authority, that we would teach all nations all things that you've taught us, knowing that you are with us always. In Jesus' name, amen.